0: So that was uh, working-class white men. Um, I think I'll start by asking you the most important question, which is, did you get to go to Phil Mitchell's night?
1: <laughs> I was busy that night.
0: <laughs> so I'm here with uh, director Christian Collerton and with Professor Green, of course, who presented it. Um, it would be really good to talk about how this came to be. What, what was the kind of... How did it become a documentary?
1: Discussion. Really? Yeah. It was a weird one for me because, especially where I grew up, being working class didn't, you know, there was no, it wasn't being white. My area wasn't predominantly white. Um, So when it was put to me, I was like, that's a bit of an odd subject to pick, isn't it? But then through discussion and things people said, and I had to start thinking about what was the picture that I saw of the white working class, you know, throughout press and media and... It began to make sense, and it 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 felt a bit awkward for me in the beginning, to be honest, because it felt like, you know, my first question was, "Are we?" Isn't that excluding, you know, other groups of people? But the point wasn't to exclude; it was to to really narrow in and focus on this group of people who, for whatever you know, for a number of reasons that we've seen there, feel feel a band that are completely disengaged, you know, that feel like they are voiceless and that are angry and have in some instances, as you saw, very conflicting opinions
2: with mine. Um,
0: so Christian, why did you want to to narrow in on this group of people? Well it was it was
2: initially presented to me by um, Swan Films um, and I think sort of a lot of Stephen's previous work for BBC three had sort of been skirting around the subject of class mm. um, and working class with your other sort of films. So they kind of initially approached me and said, white working-class men. And I was like, that's terrifyingly broad. That's huge. <laughs> um, and it was really difficult not to go in with a thesis at the beginning because you're thinking, right, okay, I could go left-wing thesis. We could go in a right-wing thesis. Like, The key was that at the beginnings was just to find engaging young men who were going through kind of big life events that we could kind of knew that we could create stories with or could tell their stories. Um, and sort of, like, fasten up and just go along for the ride with them. So, you know, p- people like Lewis, who's here tonight. And um, in terms we kind of... <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Are we still friends? <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so we thought each of their stories would hopefully shine a light on a, big, a broader subject, and a the thesis would emerge...
0: Because there's three more men to come in, in part two, which is, we, yes. we didn't get to watch, who also have very different, very different stories. stories. But how did you find uh, the men? And did they take much persuading to get involved? We can ask Lewis about this
2: later. <laughs> um, we had a very uh, talented sort of team of casters with um, Chester and Sophie, who <laughs> scoured the country. Um, and we kind of... It was such a broad subject, we sort of said, OK, right, we knew the, the genesis of the whole series, I think, was the statistic that young white working class men are the least likely to, to go to university. So we kind of knew from the off that education was going to be a really big part of it. Um, hence, that we were looking at kind of Cambridge and Lewis, we tracked down through that. Um, we cast our net far and wide. One of the things I'm really proud of in the series, actually, is how broad the scope of it is. is yeah. we've got Bolton, we've got Leeds, we've got south coast we've got essex and um, we've got the midlands there's a lot of accents in there so we, we didn't whilst it was a nightmare to film and to kind of structure i love virgin trades <laughs> <laughs> um, i think you sort of really, you feel that it's not because initially we looked at maybe just doing it in stoke which has got the highest um, uh, percentage of white working class in it but we thought that would be a very kind of narrow um, prism to kind of look at a much broader subject.
0: And how did Stephen get involved? Is that, was that because of his, well, you can tell The me.
1: truth yeah. behind it, I met Neil from Swan, um, pissed as a fart at the BAFTAs. <laughs> 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 uh, we were both pissed as a fart, yeah. Um, and we started to, we just started to talk. Um, and it's one of those things where when you're at something like that, you have so many conversations and it's like, yeah, right, but we need to meet up after this and we need to talk and we need to do something. And it's one of the few occasions when something's actually come from that. You know, he meant everything he said. As did I, and I was really excited to work with him. It was quite scary. You know, he's the the documentaries that you know the caliber of, of work that's come out of Swan is. You know, it, it was a lot to the, the bar's been set pretty high over there, um, and it felt like a, a, a it felt like a, a step forward for me. Um, it was a move into a different area, and they didn't want to do something that wouldn't really really challenge me.
2: That was one of the biggest things. That attracted me to it as well. Actually, is it? It wasn't. Stephen will just explore a subject. It was like we're going to invest a lot of time. I mean, Six, I think our fe- filming yeah. period was over about eight months. Because mm. we actually, yeah, we started in Stoke, didn't we? A violation, which didn't make the documentary. didn't make it in the end. Um, so we really kind of thought, okay, we'll we'll um, we'll just follow these guys' stories, basically.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. I can't. I still can't believe you couldn't have at the beginning written what you wanted to have happened in those people's lives, and it actually you couldn't have imagined what, in the second film as well, the things that happened in these people's lives, it was just it, you couldn't have, yeah, you couldn't have written it
2: Because it's slightly different to the way Steven has previously worked, I think, because you wouldn't spend so long in, in people's lives, did you find that I didn't that get a...
1: the opportunity, it was, you know, there were times when I was shooting two documentaries at mm. once and there was, never, there was never anything as invested as this How did you find that yourself? Um, I was going through my own Stuck so, as you well know, yeah, <laughs> I had to call a couple of sick days, sorry, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I had an operation last year, and being, it was, I think it would have been, I think it was, it was tiring for us mm. both at times, it was incredibly hard with the travelling, and from person to person, and spending that amount of time with people as well, and there were, there were brilliant times, you know, like when Lewis got the results that mm. you, mate, I was trying to, I was, trying to convince Christian to let us drive around just for a little bit longer, because I was shitting myself. (laughs) I was like, if he doesn't get them results, what the fuck are we going to do? I can't, I didn't want to be there if if you didn't. So thank God you did. Well (laughs) done. Thank you for working hard. Um,
0: Did you feel uh, connected to these people that you had spent that time with? Is that inevitable? Because
1: it does feel like there's a kind of closeness. The only, you have to, I mean, to to engage with people, you have to empathise. You empathise, you take on, you know, some of what they're going through. And you do, you, you can't not spend that amount of time with people and either like them or really not like
0: mm. them. Mm. T- t- talking of empathy, I think one of the more difficult parts of the documentary is, of course, Ste and the Britain First March, yeah. which got very tense. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Because Christian, you're the go. cameraman who <laughs> was, was sign, uh, yeah. sighing. I sighing, yeah. Saying, yeah. <laughs> want
1: camera. I really, I really, I mean, Christian will tell you. I was I always like out of the cram. I was just yeah. like, I don't want to fucking go to that. Peaceful There's March, no that's what I've got people, I never say, I'm really like, if anyone ever stops me and asks me for a picture, I'm always really polite. It's four seconds of my day I've got no qualms with that. going somewhere like that and someone asking me for a picture I, I was like I, no I'm not I, it just, I felt uncomfortable it happened, it. it. happened immediately the first thing that happened before we even got a chance to start filming I went to walk into scene and someone says oh mate can I have a picture and I'm like uh, that's
2: a green f- print first couple value. of his tattoos
1: yeah, yeah and then it, I didn't they tried to use that to their advantage and it, it didn't do very well for them in the press because I put up an Instagram post explaining why I was there and where, my, where I stood um, on
2: that, and it, it turned kind of backfired a bit. But I think, like we were saying before, I think um, we were really trying to encourage Jada Franson to to say right, be positive. You know, not just anti-Islam. That I, was Muslim?
1: what I found amazing about her. Like, are you seeing that? I said to her, can we just put this aside for one second? Can we forget this? And can you explain the British ideals which you think are missing? Mm-hmm. She just started shouting at me about something else. There was no politics. There was no, do you know what I mean? They yeah. were t- she was taking what those girls had been through and using it for her political narrative. That's disgusting behaviour. Mm. Disgusting fucking behaviour to try and get attention for Britain First.
0: To play devil's advocate for a second, is there an argument that you're putting Britain First on Channel 4 and giving them um, a place to, to kind of air those views? Or is it important to show that the... It's quite scary, it isn't it? That it exists and that it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's terrifying. I think it's it quite
1: is. scary because you don't really want to give people like that a platform. But at the same time, how could we have done that authentically without going there? I didn't want to. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I said no, straight out in the beginning. And it took conversations to get me to... to it's really, really, really hard. all of the two minutes that I was
2: there. It's really hard because like, we wanted to tackle whiteness. But how do you do that? I mean, you know what? I'll be honest as well. Do you know, what I found really hard about it. It's
1: fucking embarrassing. Right. It's really fucking embarrassing. In what in what way? I'm white and I'm working class. I don't have their opinions. I don't share their opinions. I don't feel like I have anything in common with them besides the fact that I'm white and working class. And it's 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 just shameful behaviour.
0: So as a presenter, are you trying to take a neutral approach to it? And as a documentary maker, are you? trying to take a neutral approach to it, and is it easy to maintain that in the light of that kind of behaviour? It it, it
1: wasn't at all. How can I, but I've got to ask questions, and that's something that Christian's been amazing at. I think Christian's helped me so much through this. Thank you. (laughs) No, seriously, man. Like, hands together for Christian, please. Something he he drilled into me was, don't show all your cards straight away, and why is always a question. Why? 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 Because you'll never get beyond a certain place with people if you show your hand straight away. And that, I had to take that on board. And there were times when I didn't want to ask why. I wanted to say, fuck this, I'm off. Mm. But I had to, and and that's part of because I stumbled into this career. I didn't, you know, I did a documentary about my dad. It was a personal story. I didn't much feel like I was presenting a program. We were exploring something that I went through. Beyond that, I've had to learn to ask questions. I was never that, I'm an inquisitive person as far as life, but I don't like to pray. I don't like to delve. I'm a believer that people will tell you what you want. I now have to ask questions. It's it's not easy all the time.
0: Yeah. Um. You you. Kind of on the same note, but is it easy to be politically neutral? Because we talked a little bit about this as well. Can you come at this from a kind of politically, from a kind of political no man's land, I guess, without having either a left or a right agenda? And how do you navigate that?
2: That's a really good question. I mean, initially, you know, you could, you could make out a Daniel Blake. You could, you could, you could look for those sort of stories, but that felt kind of like an obvious thing to do and probably politically that's what I would have that's what I would like to do but I think and it, it's a massive for faith because you find six lads engaging lads who are going through big life events and then the thesis comes out of that like you know and it, we were looking at the two films we were looking at how we themed it do we theme them trapped and escaped do we theme how, how do we kind of look at it and it's only kind of Identity came out of it, kind of quite late in the edit, which yes. is, I think, frames the whole of program one. Um, and then you've got to look at the way the, the t- decisions people make, the limitations on the decisions people make, and you could make, you can say class is a is a barrier, and it undoubtedly it is, which is the left wing kind of perspective on it. Or you could say, well, you've got individual choices. What you make of those choices? Which is the kind of like, you know, the other side of the spectrum. And I think juggling that, I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of is that we never sort of really, I think, land on either side. We sort of flip between the two.
1: But then something I think is it, how many of them are engaged with politics? Well, oh, no one, yeah. And where does that, you know, where does I that disengagement know. come from?
2: Well, we found that because we, we initially looked at starting the whole series at the Stoke by-election, um, which seems like it years ago now um and we were meeting kind of loads it was of nearly l- a year ago it was yeah i mean loads of lads on the street and we, we we thought like you received wisdom everyone's a ukip it's all right wing you know it's a brexit capital it wasn't just everyone was disengaged nobody was voting it wasn't even that they were engaged into kind of politics in that route um so brexit, it's interesting
0: brexit. Uh, the the kind of specter of brexit is there but you don't really talk about it I I, I, was that a, a kind of conscious decision? Was it easy to avoid it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Brexit is all over the place. And I think especially kind of, you know, Channel 4, uh, white working class men, or oh, sorry, white working class, have been either the blame of Brexit or the cause of Brexit, depending on your sort of political viewpoint. And when we started researching this, I was really interested in American politics. Trump had just come in, Belt America, working, white working class... It was seen as a kind of um, uh, a kind of a, a wrestle back of power, if you like. And we didn't want to make a Brexit film at all, but we wanted to look at the kind of like the insecurities, maybe the kind of like the the aspirations, the the people who. The expectations, you know, people, expectations. As well. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't want to go Professor Green on Brexit, but yeah. we wanted to look at the. Besides, the, I've not been engaged picture. with
1: politics for that long. Growing up, I just didn't think it was a poor man's sport, and I think there's a lot of people that will relate to that. You just they speak in a way that you don't understand, like most second.
2: Mm. But also no about who this as well. the thing we found with, with the Stoke bar actually, is like there was a genuine fear of like who It doesn't matter who you vote for. Nothing nothing here has changed for like 50 years, 40 years. So we've had Labour, we've had Conservatives, like. Nothing's going to
1: change. They watch him for the by-election, though. You know they care about it for that small period of time, and then they all mm. they all oh, yeah.
0: off. Yeah. Um. Obviously, uh, you talk about your background in the film, and we meet your nan and yeah. see your school pictures and everything. Do you think that made it? I mean, this, I think this is an obvious question, but do you think that made it um, a much easier thing for you to do? As it comes back to the empathy uh, empathy thing again. Could you empathise with, with the men
1: you're talking because to? Because of how I grew up? Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've met all sorts of people. I never really have a problem talking to people. I think it might have made it easier for them. Definitely. I think so they probably side. found it easier to engage in conversation about certain things because they knew I understood.
0: Yeah.
2: Stephen opened a lot of doors for us in casting. Right. Yeah. But often kind of making more observational documentaries, you, you, contributors would... Drop out last minute. We weirdly we never had that with Stephen. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know oh, what have got that no, I there. There <laughs> was only there were. David.
1: No, there were two people who did drop out. Jamal. There was one, but he had. He lived with his partner.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very odd. Yeah, yeah. We won't go into that. <laughs>
3: That's
2: a whole we'll spare series. you that. that. If we do another series, we'll do him.
0: <laughs> um, and a lot of the a lot of your documentaries that you've done before has been to camera. Uh, there's a lot of voiceover stuff in this. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you did that? Because I think so many of the, the most poignant observations, I suppose, come from that voiceover.
1: Um, well, again, this comes down to how Christian wanted to do it. So with the stuff that I'd done before, it was always a discussion to the person behind the camera. I never looked down the lens. Christian, from the very start, said, I want you down the lens. Um, which is scary because you're looking at me, it's like talking to an answer machine. It's no one likes talking to an answer machine, <laughs> let alone looking down the barrel of a camera, not knowing who you're speaking to, feeling like a waffling idiot. Um,
0: well, you said you were I, nervous about watching this. I don't watch myself. Don't
1: watch myself. Excuse me for lowering the tone, but I do you know, It's a bit like having a wank in the mirror. <laughs> <I don't know>.
2: What were you doing back there? <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, was me.
1: Um, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Starting to I, see like, why you and Denzel got on a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, that lad
1: has got some stories.
0: <laughs> um, Have you kept up with them? Do you do you know? Obviously, Lewis. But do you know what what they're all up to? Uh,
2: yeah, I saw Denzel a couple of days ago. He's he's still looking for his big break. <laughs> <laughs> He was about so to do a party at Christmas, but didn't quite come off. He's got big plans for Great Yarmouth still, which he's going to try and turn into the grime capital of, of, uh, of England. <laughs> I do think every time we sort of went up to film, he was dropping hints at Stephen to try and do something. I, I did wonder if he come was going to perform it, yeah. one of his gig. I'm just waiting for the
1: day I get the, I get the request from my agent. <laughs> Apparently you know him. His name's Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, the narrative was, you know, it was Christian played a large part in that as well, just from how the whole thing was put together, which I think is, you know, testament to Christian's capabilities. I think it's very well
2: done. Um, just on the writing part, everything, everything that was was written was stuff that we talked about, kind of endlessly, kind of on the road in cars, on trains. Normally,
1: like, fuck, like, I wish I'd said that to Karen, yeah, but yeah. just like it always happens after the moment.
0: So um, this gives you a chance to say it then when yeah. you thought it through.
2: But that's the best thing about working with a presenter. Um, because you can kind of crystallize your thoughts afterwards and 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 write write for the presenter and write with the presenter. Yeah. So that and I don't think Stephen was really a presenter in this as well. I think you're kind of a much more immersed in their stories? The one thing
1: I never do, like even today when I got here, I was like, I, I, I don't really want to know what the questions are. I, don't, I just prefer to wing it. And it was much the same with with those situations. I, I never wanted any information beforehand because I wanted to react naturally. And I've done that through every documentary that I've done. I've never, I don't, I don't script pieces to camera. I don't have time really to think about what I'm going to say. So everything's what I think at that time. Mm. You
0: had a very natural reaction to the maths that were being done on the on the whiteboard there. <laughs> do
1: you know what's funny about that is actually when I was um, when I was leaving primary school, my teacher, Mister Friend, said that I should sit the entry exam for St Paul's because I had, br- I had brilliant mental arithmetic. I couldn't do my bloody times tables now. Um, but even at that point, you know, saying about my background, the first thing I said was, "I don't want to go there." Mm. And that was purely, I guess, looking back on it, just from feeling like it wasn't somewhere that I should have been. How old were you then? Eleven.
0: And you knew even then that that was something you didn't, you didn't think was for you? For me.
1: Yeah. And for no other reason, other than I just didn't feel like i fit in. Yeah.
0: Do you think people uh, have found it easy to talk about class, both the people that you met in the film and afterwards? I know you've both done a lot of talking about it since. Is it an easy conversation to have?
2: I think it's a huge blind spot for mm. the nation, I really do. I mean, even talking to a lot of the lads that we were looking at casting, (laughs) no-one had any real idea of what working class even meant.
1: I actually had to Google the meaning. I'm not going to... I just was like, I knew I was working class. I knew I grew up around people who were largely from a working class background, but I didn't know what the actual definition of working class is, which is no ownership of anything. It's working for someone else. It's not only your house. It's rented accommodation. It's basically no. It's no ownership.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you think that, that you... What lessons did you take from the film? Because I think there are individual stories of hope and having seen both of the episodes, not all of them are that hopeful or optimistic, some of them aren't, but is there a kind of, can you watch these episodes and think, here's what we've learned about white working class men?
2: I think it's more, what, what's the answer to it? Mm. Is the, and that's a, that's a really difficult question.
1: It's one that keeps coming up every time how I have to talk about this program. though. No, it's what's what's the answer? Yeah. How do we how do we help social mobility? What can we do to fix it? And I like, that's a very big question for very little.
2: We're not Me- paid hard enough for that. Well, <laughs> but just... I think I think there is. I mean, there is no one size fits all. Like, the, the, it's it's not all education.
1: Everyone's stories are so different. I think that comes from this. I think that's definitely something that comes from it. There's many different. You know, there's there's different. They're different people. Their their beginnings are different. or There are things that are similar, but their stories are completely
2: different. I think in the I think in the sixties, you know, at the height at the, you know, the booming working class, you know, the where industrialization and kind of jobs for, I think there was a security there, and I think that's gone now. And I think everyone it's almost like every man for themselves, and I think something that can, like you say, what would work for Lewis wouldn't work for Denzel, wouldn't work for David, but. What the answer is? It's a massive question, and I, I I don't know.
1: To be honest, I don't know what the answer is. I think there's a lot to be said for maybe front-ending some of the spending. We know what it costs to keep someone in prison. How about we speculate mm. a little bit? You know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Helping people engage in education more, but there's it's such
2: a multifaceted or if you're not problem. Educated, you know, if you're not into education, what about what are your talents? Where yeah? Where do you lie? Yeah, and mm. it's about I think it's about self-belief. I think it's given it's given a purpose, and I think if you invest people with a purpose and potential, then they'll go. But it's how you connect that person. And I think you know if you look at places you know where Britain First is kind of its, uh, it's biggest it's, it's the north, isn't it? It's the mill towns. It's you know Rochdale. It's um, kind of the satellite towns around there, which is all old industrial where there's rust belt, and it's gone. It's, but then, how do you scoop that up? How do you kind of create, you know, in Newcastle that used to be all built around mining, and they've worked, they've got, um, they kind of like the, the next level of mining now, which is kind of call centres. Um, but you know, where's the, you know, how do you how do you solve it? It's it's it's. I think the person who can solve it will be a very rich man.
0: One of the slightly more abstract things, as well, is this idea that if you're working class, you must want to escape where you're from. That's, that's really damaging, though, I think. Yeah.
2: like The whole language that we use about it, that, you know, you're escaping the working class, or it might be you're sort of doing the working class. That's, that's what that I said, wasn't out.
1: it? It's, it's crazy. You grow up in a place, and I, this is true of me, it's true of everyone I grew up with, you grow up in a place that you want to escape. But it's not actually the place, it's the trappings of your position. It's, it's the, it is the class that you want to escape. You don't realise it at that point. But everyone, everyone, and I mean, that was, I guess, where the title came from, everyone and a lot of people that we spoke to that want to be something but if you're not something then w- what are you and that says a lot about
2: what someone thinks about themselves without them even saying it and we talked about it before it's, it's like X Factor you know the, the whole narrative around kind of you know I'm just a, I'm just a mother I just work in Sainsbury's it's like alright okay suddenly that's you know, that's not enough Yeah. You know that's not enough why not you know it's, you're a parent like own that so
1: I thought, I think My nan definitely help. wasn't embarrassed about the fact that she had to work three jobs a day to support me and her mother. You know, There was no embarrassment in that. When I was brought up, I was told it doesn't matter what job you do, as long as you do a job, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Your class isn't dependent on what's in your pocket or your bank. It's by how you treat people.
0: Do you think that's gone now? Do you think we've we've lost that?
2: I think one of the most telling lines in the whole film was actually from Lewis, which is... You know, everyone values intelligence, but does everybody value coming up from, you know, um, low means? And I think that's crazy. You know, that's... I mean, to me, you know, I was—I was kind of grew up in the 90s where, um, you know, it was all Oasis. And you, if you kind of create, you succeeded from a, like a low-income background, like you've done twice as good as everyone else because you, you haven't had the opportunities. Yeah, but then now, if someone somehow, hasn't come from that place, how would they ever but
1: understand? But being working
2: class has been... Been poisoned, I think. The yeah. kind of it's it's not for some reason it's not anything to be proud of, and I think that's down to politicians and I think that's down to media. I think.
0: Yeah, um, this might be. Uh, I'm sure that people have questions. It was such a, a kind of thought provoking film, but uh, should we should we throw it open to the floor? I always like saying that. Should we throw it open to the floor? Please. Um, if anyone has questions, you want to raise your hand and there's a microphone. Um, thank you, that was quite
4: good and enlightening to watch. Uh, nice teeth, by the way. Um, it cost a lot
1: of money. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now, I don't know how thought out this question is, but it, it's really mainly to do with language and the way that you speak, and it kind of came up and r- rose from Lewis's experience. So, coming from a working-class background, to what extent do you embrace your speech in the professional environment?
1: Personally? Yeah, yeah. um, Have you heard my music? (laughs) 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 Um, Well, I I, I just talk how I talk. I've got, I'm lucky, my great grandmother read to me loads when I was a kid, I was a very early reader, I was a bright child, I've got, do you know what, growing up where I grew up, I, I was told that I talk well. That I talk posh sometimes because I had a, a more vast vocabulary than, than some, and it's weird. You know what struck me watching that back was when you said, you know, there were times when I wanted to be normal, as if the normal was to be less educated. That really fucking struck a chord in me, watching that back. It, that's the first time I've watched it back, by the way. Um, it, it's, it's crazy, isn't it, how just by speaking better, people think something else of you. And what does it say when you have to put on a blazer to be interpreted in a certain way, you know, to be taken a certain way? That says that things are, are wrong to me. But I embrace how I talk. I don't ever really... I mean, I've got a phone voice. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a telephone voice. You know, you communicate with people. I guess in a sense you communicate with people how they best understand. But at the same time, yeah, I've, I've, I've not really made any conscious effort to just be who I am. I always mm-hmm. have been.
0: I guess that's all the different complicated sides of pride as well, and where you find that and, and what shape it takes.
1: Yeah. I grew up in between the street mates and the rude boys. You know, my uncle was a street mate, and everyone that I grew up around was, a, you know, a rude boy, for You know, that's, that's, what it, that's what it was. So, my language is a, is a mix of things.
0: Yeah. Any, any more questions? This one.
5: Thank you. Um, what I really enjoyed about the show, one well, of the many things, was that these young men—I get the feeling—had never been asked how they felt by many people before. Did you feel that they enjoyed sharing their experiences and opened up because of that?
1: Definitely, because I think they were given a chance to think about things that they'd never thought about necessarily. I think that was the—I think that's what was quite nice about it. Was that they were—and you said this to me—you know—they've probably never been asked those questions. They're, so they're thinking on, on their feet which is why the response was so. I certainly, you know, got the impression his grandma had never said to him, you know, don't spend your money on that. I think he seemed genuinely quite shocked that you said that, you know. But I mean, seriously, you've got, do you know what I mean? Maybe it's just growing up. <laughs> Like, do you know, maybe, you know, me growing up, how I did, it just, I'm just like, how can you not be there more for your daughter? Which I think was fair. Um, and I don't think he'd object to me saying that now. You know, there's one thing that I've... Another thing that I always try and make sure of is that I will always say to someone on camera what I will say about someone to camera. I think that's really important mm-hmm. and that's honest because if you can't do that, then you're starting to manipulate people and I don't, I don't believe in that.
0: And what is... You, you, you mentioned that he's still doing a bit of wheeling and dealing, but do you know anything else about or what, what, he's, what he's up to?
2: Denzel, well, no, he's, he's still, as we met him, really, kind of big plans, um, big plans. Big plans. Watch this space. Yeah. We've it for quite some time, that space.
1: <laughs> Going back to do I embrace my language, actually, I remember getting an Instagram message from Yasmin Evans, who pre, uh, presents on One Extra, and she goes, you're the only person on Loose Women when asked about their nan to say, my nan's sick with gun fingers." So there you go. <laughs>
0: Uh, any other, any more questions? There's, there's a couple at the back and there's one down here as well. Should we go first at the back? Shall I go first? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, that Lewis's story definitely resonated with me. Um, I'm from a working class family. My brother got a scholarship to Eton and it was like an amazing opportunity. He's from Rochdale. So, you know, it does happen and I'm very happy for Lewis, so congratulations. Okay. Um, and second of all, what I wanted to ask was kind of, both from a filmmaker's perspective and, and a director as well, how did you manage to capture the the kind of happiness and the humour without taking the piss and then the kind of bad, kind of with the Britain first stuff without getting angry with it?
2: You mean whilst filming it or?
0: Whilst filming it and just in kind of the emotion, I presume you sat in the edit with it and just kind of how it was all put together. Well, a
2: lot of that comes down to um, working with an amazingly talented editor called Sam Santana, who's down here. (laughs) And um, I mean, Sam's a genius, so kind of you give him your sort of bird offerings and he kind of conjures up something that's kind of 20 <laughs> times as good as it could possibly be that you thought. Um, so a lot of it is made in the edit and a lot of it is down to pacing, a lot of it is down to um, just really s- small things like looks, um, music really helps. So I think a lot of it is kind of created in the edit. Our job is just to make sure we kind of cover it all um, and let the kind of like, you know, the the, the really talented people kind of make it all. <laughs> And I think yeah, I think that was really important. And I think not going in with thesis first, mm. which is really terrifying, but you know, just letting letting the stories happen and empowering the kind of the, you know, your contributors with to tell their stories and just, you know, ask the right questions, get the right person asking the right questions and um you know, it, it sort of evolves from there really. And I think um, you know, you mentioned somebody mentioned people never talk about you know you're asking questions that never get talked about that's the best thing about our job I think you know you get to you get to take people you get to take people to places and talk about things that you know they maybe never articulate in their own minds so but they give you a better understanding of things as well I've learned so much through the documentaries
1: that I've made and I've been really fortunate because it's a huge thing to let someone into your life you know let alone Mm -hmm. to let someone into your life for it to be on on television and it works
2: both ways i think you know they i think david out of everyone is a kind of the classic example of this because he I, I might be wrong but i do think if we hadn't been there and got him questioning what he was doing i think he would have gone to that britain first march and i don't think he'd have questioned it and i think he i do think his the reason for not going was because he thought he he thought it through he mm. thought how what they stood for and didn't just see it as a nice day out and he thought is that, do I want to put my kind of chips in that camp? Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I think just kind of asking the right questions is probably a rubbish answer to what you, what you asked. <laughs> um, that, yeah, yeah I, w- I was wondering um, at what stage you decided to focus on younger working class white men rather than older. Um it, Obviously, you started with the idea of, uh, that there are uh, the lowest um, uh, likelihood of going on to university. So it's obvious to ask that. But there's also a generation of sort of 40, 50 something white working class men who grew up under Margaret Thatcher and the dreams of yeah. council house ownership. So I was wondering if you had any plans to, to look at that, or you decided for other reasons it wasn't feasible or interesting? Well, the reason why we looked at young working-class men at the start was because, by definition, of being young, they had they were going through more kind of life events, um, and they were questioning more. And I think um, the older you get, I mean, I might be wrong, but the older you get, the more set you get in your ways. Um, so I think, and you also accept your situation.
1: Um, you know, there was a, a, a taster that was commissioned before the actual film, and in talking to what. Well, a point that came out and it was you know the the younger people still had ideas they still had ambitions they still wanted to do something whereas the older people that I spoke to had come to terms with the fact that they were where they were and Mm. that was their identity
2: they were from where we were filming yeah so it wasn't a kind of a conscious decision just to well it was actually it was a conscious decision to focus on kind of opportunities I suppose opportunities for kind of younger lads and And also also Stephen is himself a kind of Young, was young. Once ish. young <laughs> yeah, um, so it's somebody that you could kind of that would reflect your own kind of experience. Definitely, and more things are happening.
1: Yeah. They're going through stages in their life, which are quite transitional. Which I think the older you get, the less transitional life becomes. Mm, That's exactly it. Are
0: there any more? Oh, there's loads. <laughs> uh,
1: a really shy bunch at first. It was like <laughs> who's going to put their hand up first
0: uh to yeah the, the next to you in the striped top.
5: Uh, Stephen, you're obviously a global star who's going to BAFTA parties and getting drunk and making contacts. <laughs> um, do you ever feel out of place?
1: Um it's a weird one because I've never I don't know it's I've found myself in 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 crazy places, you know. I've got friends who own 40 million pound estates. You know I come from an estate, a council estate. <laughs> Um, so it's it is crazy sometimes, but you know from meeting people like that, I've grown as a person, and it's definitely removed some of the barriers that I had and some of the notions that I had about people who were more well off than myself. Even as I started to become well off, because people say to me now, you know, well, what class are you? Where do you put yourself? Well, how can I be anything but working class? I spent twenty seven years of fuck all, you know, like that's that's the life that I know. I, I will always live with those anxieties and those insecurities. I don't have the safety net that. That a lot of people have. I want my children to have that safety net because I don't want them to grow up with the insecurities that I had or the anxieties that I had, or hearing the shouting and swearing because there was so much stress in my household or being shuffled off into a room while you know their nan pays a debt collector that comes around. I don't want them to have that. So would I want my kids to be working class? And I don't. Don't anyone feel like I'm turning my back on my outcome from because of this? Because I want them to understand the value of a penny. I want them to understand the value of a pound. But if being working class means going through what I did and some of what they have, I wouldn't want my children to be working class.
2: What would you? If, if I asked you now, what, what class would you say you are?
1: I have no class. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: it was a great film, thank you very much. Thank and um, I think the strength of it was in the fact that you spent time with these characters, so we saw a sense of development and progress. So you really got, you, f- you felt you got something out of it at the end of it. What was that conversation like with Channel 4? Did you make that a prerequisite that this film is only going to work if we are given the... <laughs> um, I knew. You know, was that Was that there from Ow. the start, Christian, where yeah, you yeah, thought, was. I'm not it doing was. this unless I've got the time to really,
2: you know, that was, very, that was That was there, that was agreed before I came on. Um, and that was probably the, one of the, the chips that kind of made me take it actually, because I haven't seen a, a sort of a documentary series. Imagine trying to condense that into like 12 weeks or something, mm. it would have been impossible. Well, that was the schedule. I, think <laughs> <laughs>
5: I mean, that's the problem with a lot of the films. You know, we are, we are told that we've got 10 days filming. Yeah. And in 10 days, you've got to encompass people's lives that are so complex. Yes. And, you know, it's just ridiculous but because really of hard, budgets, yeah. et cetera. So it's, it's a real gift that you were given
2: that. And I think we, we, we looked at that as... That was really important in casting because, like, we knew we couldn't do... We couldn't just turn up and sit and film for six months or four months and just wait and see what happened. Like, we, we needed to know and guarantee that, you know, we'd get certain key scenes in each person's story. And then we could, like tell their stories around it. Then stuff happens, and you're just like... And stuff happens, which is the best. uh, Yeah.
5: And were you filming... Sorry, I'm just going to ask one last one. Were you filming during the editing? Were you still going back? And how long did the editing process take to make these two films? So
2: the editing process was two seven-week edits? Two eight weeks? Twelve weeks. Twelve weeks for two films. But we ran two edits kind of concurrently. Um, so we were kind of hopping in between the two. So we got the first episode one up to a standard and then sent that through to the second edit. Um, and then Sam and I worked up the second film whilst Joe, the exec producer, continued on F1, um, which I think was probably the right way to do it.
0: So we have another, another question. Uh, down the front, hi. Actually, I think there's one in in the middle there with the mic, and then we'll, we'll come to you. Are you looking at me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My question um, is actually for Lewis, if he feels comfortable talking about his experiences at Cambridge, um, oh, sorry. because I think it's it's it, I think it's a lot it's a lot less obvious than you think it's going to be. It's the, the struggles, really, that you face when you get there. And it's not that someone's like, oh, ha-ha, like, you're poor. It's more kind of noticing the very, very slight differences that you have with other people. And I think, unfortunately, that's something that, you take into the workplace and that never really leaves so i was just wondering without being too depressing um whether (laughs) you yeah what your what your experience has been
3: like Uh, well um my first turn's been quite good um in general um but on the social side um it's been quite difficult because it's i tended to hide away um that side of me i suppose i tended towards staying talking about academia rather than anything else. Um, And there were definitely noticeable differences between me and and a lot of other people. Um, So it was quite difficult, but now I feel like I fit in slightly more um, because I've developed quite a a good friend group of people who I've let in on uh, the real me, if you like. Um, When someone does first meet me, I don't necessarily um, share that straight away. Um, it's not a um, yeah. It's not that I want to hide it. It's just that it
0: just doesn't
3: come up. No, no, exactly. Yeah, in conversation, um, and they wouldn't understand perhaps some of the of the difficulties I faced in the past. So it's just not worth discussing when you can talk about more lighter things like academia. So. <laughs> <laughs> in, in general.
6: Would you mind passing the microphone down? To... Um, well done again. That was a Really, like, really nice to watch that happen. Um, for Professor Green, hearing you say you had an opportunity to go to quite a good school based on your how well how well you were at maths, and mm-hmm. um, it resonated your story and his story resonated with me because my me and my younger brother had that same kind of opportunity in terms of. I was on a scheme, and I didn't want to go to Cambridge based on the scheme, because I felt like I was ticking a box almost. Mm. We needed to get, like, you know, someone who's um, not white and someone who's working class background into um, that space. And my brother um, had a scholarship at Dutch College and turned it down because he felt like he wouldn't fit in. Um, and obviously now watching Lewis's story is quite nice to see that. You, you set your own barriers, I guess, if you like, and he didn't set his own, so... Yeah, by um, that
1: age, those barriers were set for you, I'm sure yeah. you felt, because that's how I felt. I wasn't yeah, well, told I was, any different.
6: Yeah, and I was going to say, do you, looking back now and watching Lewis's story, do you not regret not going, but do you, well, yeah, would you regret, have changed it? Yeah.
1: Do you know what? Hypothetically, I'd change a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into those. Um, But yeah, no, hypothetically, I I I would, yeah, because why shouldn't I have taken that opportunity? I was a bright child, and I never fulfilled that. I left school at 13. I ended up in a pupil referral unit. I don't have a single GCSE. Um, But in reality, I'm sitting here talking to you lot, and it's it's not been easy. It definitely hasn't. Um, God knows what the future holds. My life is like, that still, I never meant and obviously that means I'm the problem, right? Because I'm the common denominator between all of the ups and downs. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I just think um, I am where I am now, um, and I'm happy, content, maybe, I don't know, but um, I am happy with where I am, and I've made peace with the fact that I can't go back and, and change anything.
0: Um, we've got time for one more question, I think, before, so if anyone's got a really good pressing question, then raise your hand high.
1: There's someone in the front here. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, when I was watching the documentary, like the first thing that struck me about it was how much importance... I asked myself how much importance I place on identity and everything that we do, how that contributes to our sense of... What we, what we mean to ourselves mm. and our place in the world, be that on an individual level or on a more collective level. Mm-hmm. Um, so through making the documentary for the both of you, did it make you question for yourself how much, uh, how much value you place on your sense of identity and how much value you place on it? Does that, does that, does you, do you feel like that limits you or do you feel like that gives you more scope?
1: I see <laughs> <a> <laughs> um, nowadays I'm better at asking the questions um, do you know what I guess it did it, it proper did make me question um, I guess my sense of identity my sense of self-worth what that was what that is and how important that is and I can tell you now like from when I was 18 and I started to write lyrics I felt like I had a better sense of purpose because I had a sense of expression and people talk about, you know, people who feel they don't have a voice. I understand what it is to feel like that, but I found my voice. And as soon as I found that, even just putting words onto paper gave me a better sense of myself because I began to understand myself better. And I think there's a lot of people who, you know, the question about, do you think, you know, posing those questions to those people, do you think they appreciate it because they got to think about things that they didn't normally and, and were ask questions that they weren't normally given the opportunity to answer and giving them a platform It's important because... You know, I think a lot of, you know, problems come down to a lack of identity. If you, if, if you don't have much, what becomes important? You know, is it your postcode? Yeah, is it where you're from? Do you really hear, you know, you, you hear the, you know, more middle and upper class people referring to the schools they went to. That's how they identify. You know, you mm-hmm. don't hear them repping a the postcode, do you? <laughs> <laughs> come from Wiltshire. <How> it? <laughs> 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 it's not, do you, but do you see the difference? And you see what problems like on in the causes, you know, people lose lives over that. So I think it's really important that it's discussed because having a sense of identity and a sense of purpose gives you direction. And without that direction, you know, we have plenty of examples where people end up.
2: Totally.
4: Yeah. And I guess just to follow that, do you feel like if like if you fix that too much, if you go, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to be from, you know, the age of sixteen. Do you feel like then you're trying to sort of fulfil something that actually you need to be open to the fact that it could change?
1: Um, Yeah, I think you should be open to the fact it could change. But I think uh, for a lot of people, um, from what I saw growing up as well, is if if you're being told that you ain't going to be shit, that you ain't shit, you know, you hear that enough, you begin to believe it. Um, And I think that that begins a lot of behavioural issues. You know, a lot of people come to school with those problems and they act out because they're not getting the attention that they should get at home. They're just a naughty kid, so you're a naughty kid. And all you have eyes is a naughty kid. So fuck it, I'm going to be the naughty kid. So where does that ever lead you? There's a lot of people that never get to realize their brilliance because of these things. Well, how do you solve those problems for every single family in this co- well, this country or world? You know, how, do you, how do you solve that?
5: Have
0: you ever thought about uh, standing to be an MP?
1: <laughs> yeah, we talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 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 I haven't. Why? Because I don't feel like I belong...
0: Um, on that note, then, thank you for the questions. Thank you, Christian.